Welcome to the Data Brilliant Podcast with me, Joe Dos Santos, Chief Data Officer at Click. In this series, we explore how data is reshaping and redesigning the future of our business and personal worlds. From business leaders to educators to public figures, we'll be joined by experts who will give us a fresh perspective on the world through data. Today, I'm joined by Tom Davenport. Tom is a world-renowned thought leader and author. In fact, he pioneered the concept of competing on analytics with his best-selling 2006 Harvard Business Review article and the 2007 book. He is the president's distinguished professor of information technology and management at Babson College, a fellow of the MIT Center for Digital Business, and a regular contributor to titles including Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and the Wall Street Journal. Welcome to Data Brilliant, Tom. Happy to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me. So in 2007... You wrote what is arguably the seminal book on competing in analytics uh, for industry, and you highlighted the successes of places like Netflix, Harrah's, Capital One, really at the dawn of analytics. Um, What were you seeing then? What did you think was going to happen? And and how has the world changed since that time that has uh, reinforced or maybe caused you to rethink some of your thinking in that area? Well, the I think the primary difference between then and now is there weren't very many companies who even knew what analytics were. Um, people talked mostly about business intelligence then, which uh, was mostly about reporting and uh, querying databases and so on. Um, not much predictive work, not much um, prescriptive Analytics, certainly not much in the way of automated analytics or um, uh, machine learning. And now, of course, those activities are pretty pervasive uh, in large organizations around the world. And I I still think there aren't enough organizations that really compete on their analytical capabilities, but there are certainly a lot more that that are doing so-called advanced analytics. And and help us with that distinction. Um, what do you think makes the distinction to compete on analytics? What are the things that people are doing that are effective in that regime versus, you know, just people who happen to have spreadsheets and databases, et cetera? They decide, Joe, that it's a strategic capability for them. It's something that they want to build their strategies around their key business processes, how do they go to market, and they end up um, investing a lot in it, and they um, talk about it a lot internally and externally, and it becomes, you know, core aspect of their identities. Maybe they develop a cute little slogan, like Capital One had information-based strategy until they realized that there was something else called IBS that they didn't really want to talk about that much. So. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, these are just companies that are out there. They hire the best people. They have great data. They work really hard on their technology infrastructures and things um, go well for them with regard to their analytics and, and what they do with them across the organization. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, at the time you were, you were dealing in 2007 with people who were really doing mostly descriptive analytics and things really started to radically change. 
And by 2012, you and DJ Patil wrote what is arguably the most uh, quoted and misquoted article in the Harvard Review, <laughs> Harvard Business Review. Uh, the uh, sexiest job of the 21st century is the data scientist. And you quote, you kind of describe this. I love this. Uh, there's a description by a, an executive at Intuit who says, the data scientist must have skills in programming, must have a foundation in math, statistics, and probability, must have a background in computer scientist, must have good uh, habits of mind, and they have to have a feel for business issues and empathy for customers. Well, that's, can, that's quite a person. And they, have to, and they have to you know, put out the cat every night at, at <laughs> 10 o'clock. <laughs> so, so what, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a decade since we kind of introduced the role of the data scientist. Uh, what did we get right? What did we get wrong? And I wonder if you could clear up some of the misperceptions of that article. Well, um, you know, I think obviously the role is – much more popular today than it was then. Um, only a few companies outside of Silicon Valley, um, you know, digital native firms had data scientists then. In fact, um, you know, one of the reasons why I sought out DJ Patil as a co-author is, you know, I was living and working in Boston and I didn't really know very many data scientists and um, I knew there was a pretty strong community out on the West Coast, so that that um, he kind of introduced me to a lot of those people, which was very helpful. Um, I think the um, you know it was never terribly well defined as a term. I remember asking one data scientist who did actually live in the Boston area, you know, what's the most important uh, attribute of a data scientist, and he said. Um, the ability to code, which I thought was quite interesting. Obviously, not everybody who can code is a data scientist. But now um, it, it in, I think, in, encompasses way too much for uh, the vast majority of sentient human beings to qualify for. Um, we have all the technical skills, the computational skills, the... Um, analytical skills. We add. We've added AI to the mix now, and um, all the skills for manipulating data. Arguably, that was the I thought probably the most common thing. In fact, this is how good a marketer I am. I um, said, you know, maybe instead of the sexiest job of the 21st century, I, I, we should call these people pl data plumbers because much of their time <laughs> was spent, you know, mucking around with with 30 data and trying to clean it up and integrate it and, and so on. Um, so I think the, the biggest problem is that the job is poorly defined. A lot of people want to qualify for it. They want to be in the sexiest job of the 21st century and, you know, get the uh, rewards that accrue to it. And so um, too many things uh, go into the role. The, the technical stuff, as I was saying, Lots of skills related to um, data management, lots of skills related to organizational change, lots of skills related to business and business strategy. And as you um, sort of hinted there, um, those are unicorns that don't don't really exist. Now, one of the things that you point out here, I, I think in two, 2012 was a very interesting year because not at the same time that you were you were calling out this important skill, this data science skill. You also published a book called Judgment Calls, 
uh, 12 stories of big decisions and the teams that got it right. And what you start to focus here is the dynamics, the culture of an organization that wraps those data science skills around it. And there's some common factors to what you're describing, though. There's an inclusion of, uh, of different people, but also a diversity of skill sets in the room, right? So some are technical, some are business-oriented, some are practical, and so some diversity of thought in the room. And then the third seems to be having the data to back it up. Are, are those kind of three important legs of the stool? They are. I mean, and the diversity comes into play in a, in a couple of different ways. One is you need all those skills to be involved if you're actually going to implement a new way of making a decision. You know, that's kind of the mix of skills that go into um, deploying an AI system or even a new analytics, conventional analytics system. And then um, I think that diversity also helps in the what I think of as the most important step in a decision, which is how you frame it in the first place. And if you have people who think in different ways, you're probably likely to get some alternative framings of the decision, which is, to me, the single most important factor in whether things turn out all right. If you don't frame a decision well in the first place, or you kind of charge in one direction without considering alternatives, you can probably never recover, no matter how good your data and analytics and data scientists are. Right. And I guess that turns a corner into a different part of the decision-making process. You've done a lot of research more recently on the emergence of the chief data officer and chief data analytics officer role. And um, you've you've written a book with uh, Leandro Delamuel uh, called What's Your Data Strategy? And it focuses on some different ways that people are attacking it. What have you seen with respect to the emergence of the role, the 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 qualifications that people have to get the role, the kind of role descriptions and sphere of influence and control. What's what's happening? How did it get started? And what's changing about the CDO? Well, it's been a troubled role, I would say, in part because it's new, I think, but there's some other factors that make it troubled. And when I, when I say troubled, uh, the job tenure is relatively short, always has been, uh, now, I think the uh, estimates, we um, wrote a piece recently in Harvard Business Review suggesting that the job tenure is less than two and a half years, which is less than most other C-level roles. Um, I, you know, data is a sort of an abstract concept for most business people. And if you've got someone in charge of an abstract concept, that makes it a little hard to know, are they doing a good job? Or not, and you know many of the CDOs come in with very high expectations. They're paid well. They're going to straighten out data at the organization and uh, enable the company to do lots of things that it couldn't do previously. And it's really hard to do. I mean, managing data, improving a data environment is quite a complex undertaking, particularly if you have a lot of you know legacy systems and technical debt, as you know, many, many um, legacy firms do, uh, it's hard to show value. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest problems in, in that um, it's hard to say what uh, benefits you have brought about, uh, what problems you have averted. Uh, you just can't really point out value. And it, I think one of the biggest ways to make the job better is to combine it with something that 
is much easier to show value in, and that's the chief analytics officer. And mm-hmm. you know, there are a fair number now of chief data and analytics officers. For some reason, you never have chief analytics and data officers. I don't know why. But um, <laughs> the, if you're a chief data and analytics officer, you can do you know some of the things that you need to do in the data management environment in order to um, you know improve it, clean up the data, integrate the data, etc. But you can also show relatively short-term value with your analytics initiatives, and that's pretty easy. You know, almost anybody I think could could find something good to do with analytics in an organization that would demonstrate some value. And so many of the CDAOs I know, they do some work in data management, but they try to keep their ambitions, you know, relatively low there. Large ambitions require large expenditures and people keep track of how much money you've asked for and what you've done with it. So um, they they focus on, ju- you know, doing just enough uh, data work to do some great things with with analytics. I think that's really good counsel. When you split the analytics from the data, you have one person that owns all the cost and one person that owns all the value. And that's not really a good recipe for the person who just owns all of the cost. Um, Are there other um, are there other secrets to success in terms of this role? So what have you seen that separates the people that are effective at these roles, uh, clearly being able to prove analytics values? What are characteristics or mannerisms? Are they good storytellers? Are they good with influence of the executive suite? What, What are things that separate the good ones from the bad ones in your experience? Well, I think they they primary have a very strong business orientation, Joe. I mean, uh, people think that someone in the chief data officer role should be highly technically adept, and I'm you know I'm sure there's some circumstances where that that can be useful, but in general, I think the the primary um, success stories come in organizations where the CDO or the CDAO builds partnerships early on with key stakeholders, typically, you know, um, heads of business units or functions, for example, and, um, you know, starts making things happen with the help of those executives. And um, so it's really, in in many ways, more of a relationship issue uh, than a, uh, you know, a a data. It's more relationships than relational, let's say, um, to use a data-oriented term. And um, I, I think there's some other factors as well. Um, uh, use um, all the tools at your disposal. Now, you know, now we have some capabilities for starting to use AI for making data better. Certainly, data integration can be done with with some AI tools that do kind of you know probabilistic matching analyses to see you know is this this um, Tom Davenport the same as the Tom Davenport that's in a totally different customer database um, and uh, 99% likely, sure, just automatically merge them. We've never done very well with these very large-scale efforts um, like master data management or kind of previous generation of of that, what's called information engineering. They just didn't yield enough value for the time and effort that they required. So, Tom, you've been at this for a while, 
and have started to see the evolution of analytics at the corporate level and have described this evolution across four different eras. I wonder if you could describe what those eras are and tell us a little bit about what Analytics 4.0 looks like. Sure. So um, when I first started with analytics um, in uh, college and graduate school and so on, um, analytics were very artisanal. So I kind of call this the artisanal era where um, everything was very labor intensive and um, uh, the analysts, um, professional analysts were expected to do most of the the work and the work was mostly, you know, descriptive analytics as we were saying. And it was um, quite time consuming uh, ultimately expensive, which is true of most artisanal things, and kind of a uh, sort of a back office activity. Most organizations didn't pay all that much attention to to how it was done or who who was doing it. Um, that didn't really change all that much until you know around the turn of the century, and you started to see these Silicon Valley firms saying, "Huh, you know, we got a lot more data than we ever considered." online click streams and so on. We need some new computational approaches uh, to deal with that. Um, so I call that the big data era. And it was um, not an area era where there was a huge amount of analytical uh, transformation going on. It's DJ Patil. I, I once mentioned this to DJ Patil, my co-author on the data scientist piece, who eventually came the first chief data scientists of the United States of America, mm -hmm. first and only, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he hasn't been replaced for a while. I'm not sure why. But uh, I said, DJ, you know, why, why don't these people use sophisticated analytics? And he said, oh, you've discovered the big data equals small math issue. Um, <laughs> I think maybe because people were so you know, challenged with getting his counting what was going on that they didn't have much energy left for sophisticated analytics. So that was a big data era. Um, I don't know, around 2013, 2014, I started to notice that things had kind of changed in that all those things that the big data companies in Silicon Valley were doing was being adopted by large legacy firms as well. And, um, we were uh, the, in that big data era. A lot of companies were not so much interested in kind of supporting managerial decisions with analytics. They wanted to create data products, you know, products and services for customers uh, based on data. And that started to happen in big companies too. So I call this the data economy era. And the, uh, we started to see um, mix of big and small data. Even big companies would say analytics and eventually AI are critical to our success, too. Um, well, we can develop data products um, for our customers, and we can return to this idea of decision support, if you will, an old old term used to, you know, is kind of the term we used prior to business intelligence. But it's not artisanal anymore. It's got to be industrialized. So we've got to make, you know, thousands and thousands of, of decisions in short periods of time, clearly that requires a very new approach to both computing and analytics. And then uh, it started that started to leak into machine learning. Uh, you can't really do thousands and thousands of, 
of equations without machine learning and even some automated machine learning. But um, clearly, you know, around 2017, 2018, and by the way, these errors are accelerating, we started seeing people focus much more on AI anyway. So now I call it the AI era. And things are a lot more automated and they are much more large scale. And we um, are trying to predict all over the place. And we have these much more complex models like deep learning and so on. So again, a very um, different environment. The troublesome thing is all those previous eras don't go away. We still have to do them all, but you know, they do change, but they, they are the need for that kind of work is still with us. And do you think that some of the role of the data scientist and potentially other roles have changed as a result of this new AI era? So in some respects, the machines themselves can look at data and make recommendations. And so that kind of that work of hypothesizing and trying to figure out an algorithm and math, that's kind of what the machines are doing. And it kind of puts a premium on the business analysis skills of that data scientist. Is that is that happening? Is that true? Um, and are we starting to see kind of a shift in terms of the kinds of skills that are required to put data to work? Well, I agree with you that it should be changing, but I'm not sure how much it is yet. I think mm. many data scientists sort of stubbornly um, uh, persist in being heavily algorithm focused and trying to create great algorithms when I think increasingly machines are going to do a much better and faster job of that. But um, smart data scientists will realize that unless they are God's gift to uh, mathematics and statistics, that they're much better off letting the machines do that kind of work and they themselves can focus on the broader issues of how do, how do we create business change with this capability. But I'm not sure it's, that's really taken off substantially as an idea yet. It's really uh, an interesting point that in some respects you're talking about data scientists uh, who are in most organizations, the most forward thinking modern thinkers being almost an impediment to adoption of AI because they themselves have a way of doing things that AI would kind of make unnecessary. Yeah, you know, they they too can resist progress. I mean, I um, have seen a number of data scientists who have been initially, I, I'm just writing a new book now about people who work day to day with AI. And one of the the companies that I wrote about, uh, the groups that I wrote about were data scientists at um, Kroger, they have a subsidiary, one of the more oddly named companies called 84.51 Degrees, which is the longitude of <laughs> Cincinnati. But um, they um, they said we were initially threatened by this, but we realized it could free us up to focus on the kind of broader, what they call solution engineering issues. And it also creates opportunities for new people who aren't you know, heavily trained in um, statistics and math to do some of that work. They call them insight specialists, and they, it's working quite well. And they're sort of you know, overseen, supervised, trained a little bit by the data scientists, which is you know, another important role they can play. But I think if we really want to be highly analytical organizations these days, we have to get a lot more people engaged with it and using these kind of automated tools is, is a very valuable way to do that. Yeah, that's really fascinating that even now, 
um, the the ways of how adopting these technologies is changing so rapidly, and that we've gone from you know if we come full circle to what a data scientist was, somebody who's good at coding, someone who's good at Java, someone who's good at statistics. And now we start to really start to focus on the skills of being able to understand the output of statistics, the output of the computer science in order to put some material value to work. And I think that's going to be probably a fundamental shift in the next era for the data scientist. I hope you're right, or, or you know, the, the role may become somewhat extinct. Oh, you heard it here first. Tom Davenport says data science is going extinct. um so so tom uh as we wrap this up i wonder if you could uh highlight some some takeaways what are three big things that are kind of reshaping the world of data around us well one is clearly this issue of democratization i didn't refer to it that way but this idea and, and it's this is an ongoing trend um statistical packages made statistics much easier when I was in college and now it's automated machine learning and ML ops and, and tools like that. But we we can empower a much broader group of people to do this kind of work. So that's, I think, one major trend and, and one that many organizations should, should um, take advantage of. Um, another one, I think, is just uh, the overall importance of this topic doesn't diminish at all it keeps getting stronger and stronger you have some very impressive companies now that are not just competing on analytics but competing on ai i'm writing a book about that now as well not calling it that but these are companies that really you know get aggressive in their use of ai and they're changing their strategies and so on and then finally i guess the third thing would be we're starting to get a handle on if if we're going to do this well, we need an organizational structure to make it happen. Um, chief data officers, chief analytics officers, and we have to have them try to you know, help change the culture toward a data orientation as well as cr- creating these technical solutions. So, Tom, how can our listeners find out more about you and your work? I have a website, tomdavenport.com. I try to publish all the things that I can um, put on LinkedIn through that. So you can connect with me or follow me or whatever. There are plenty of other good people to follow. (laughs) I think you're one of the best to follow. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Tom. My pleasure. Tom Davenport is a world-renowned thought leader and author. In fact, he pioneered the concept of competing on analytics with his best-selling 2006 Harvard Business Review article and the 2007 book. He is the President's Distinguished Professor of Information Technology and Management at Babson College. Thank you for listening to this episode of Data Brilliant, brought to you by Click and hosted by me, Joe Dos Santos. There's an interesting contradiction in the world of analytics. On the one hand, the fundamental steps of finding data, conducting analysis, and taking action haven't changed in centuries. But what's changing is how. The technology, the organizational structure, the skills, and even the ethical implications of what we're doing. And in a world where the CDO can rise and fall in two years, and data science can go from the sexiest job of the 21st century to obsolete, we are lucky to have Tom Davenport helping us to understand the seismic shifts that are coming our way more and more quickly. Thank you, Tom, for helping us see what's coming next.